0: Hello, I am Tracy Stober, and I am a registered social worker. Our website is TracyStober.com, and you listen to SME Podcasts.
1: You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for dialing on the show. we got a great episode today with Tracy Stober. Tracy Stober is a registered social worker with a master's degree in social work. Over the last 20 years, she's had professional, volunteer, and practicum experience in the community and social service field. Tracy has worked alongside clients who struggle with depression, anxiety, life stressors and transitions, interpersonal and relational issues. She has extensive experience in the areas of grief, death, and dying, and has worked in the palliative care for 10 years working with her patients and the bereaved family members. Throughout her work in her private practice, Tracy has utilized a variety of modalities to counseling, such as CBT, ACT, psychodynamic family of origin, and solution-focused therapy, amongst others. Applying different modalities to her private practice has allowed her to improve the social-emotional well-being of her clients. Furthermore, her work in the community and in the hospital settings has provided her with an extensive knowledge and experience in working with diverse culture and socioeconomic populations. Empathy and compassion is core to Tracy's approach to her therapy. She has always been a strong advocate for her clients and believes that with the right support and correct therapeutic approach, everybody is capable of finding the inner peace and making positive changes in their lives. Her positive spirits, non-judgmental approach, and supportive values provides Tracy's clients with confidence and a can-do attitude that maximizes success. Now, I've known Tracy for probably well over 10 years at this point. Now, I actually first met her when I actually used to teach kickboxing at a hospital and she actually turned out to be one of my students. In continuing to that, I also managed to get to know Tracy as well with my late father and Tracy, who also worked at the hospital, also treated my father and I can really attest to her compassion and her support that she provided to my family throughout that difficult time. She's awesome. She has a beautiful daughter. And she has a lot of stories that I think uh, you guys are going to enjoy. So sit back and absorb. All right, guys, we have Tracy Stober of TracyStober.com. Tracy, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good. How are you doing? It's
1: a Sunday, so that's always I'm always very sad because Monday is another workday. So, so uh-huh. not, that's not true. It depends on the Sunday. So you could have a great sure. Monday planned if it was a long weekend aside from that, should be all right. So
0: if you're not working, it's a great Sunday. It's a good essentially.
1: Or as my as Mrs. K used to say when she was on Mat Leave and I said, Oh, I can't believe it's gonna be Monday and she's like, Every day is a Friday. That's all she would basically that's what she would say. Just to rub it in
0: my dad's yeah, my dad's retiring. He's I don't know, it's like Blurts Day today. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know what day it is. Blurts
1: Day. (laughs) Excellent. We'll have yeah. a blurt day. Excellent. Happy blurt day, everybody. All right. TracyStober dot com. Social worker extraordinaire. What is your story?
0: Oh, where would you like me to start? How I became a social worker? I guess I can start there.
1: I always leave every, these questions open, Tracy. So go back yeah. as far as you're willing say to go like back. I was
0: born at a very young age and growing up, I just always knew I wanted to be in a helping profession. I was always the kid people came to. when They had problems. I was always felt like I wanted to make people feel better when they were sad. And I think early as five years old, when my mom picked me up from school one day, there was a kid that was hurt and I was like kneeling over trying to make sure they were feeling better. And so it was just always in in my cards to be in a position where I can help others. I wanted to be a vet, but my math and sciences are terrible. So, so I was like, pick something else. And so I was lucky that early on, I knew I wanted to get into something like psychology, social work, et cetera, be something like that. So for my undergrad, I did psychology, sociology, and actually a minor in women's studies. And then I took a year off after doing my undergrad and I worked for it. And that you'll find out for me, I don't like to work one job. (laughs) I tend to work multiple And yeah, and, and two of the jobs I was working with, um, adults and children with physical and intellectual disabilities and integrating them into society. And that job was incredible, but it was a huge eye opener into how society perceives people. I was working with a beautiful young man who has Down syndrome and I was trying to get him some jobs and I walked into the mall and I think it was like HMV. I don't even know if that's around anymore. And I had a resume and I said, Are you looking to hire? And he said, Yep, yeah, we are. And I said, Great. Now, my friend here is looking. He's like, Oh, no, we're not hiring. And it was really heartbreaking. And I just tried to swap it off. And I was like, oh, We don't need them. We'll find you something amazing. Don't worry. But it was really eye opening that people, if you don't, and I'm, please know I'm quoting, you can't see me on the podcast, but if you don't look, Sound normal or seem quote unquote normal, you have a hard time. And so that really steered me into not only the psychology piece, but the sociology piece as well. And then I started looking into programs for my master's and there were social work, master's of social work programs. And I applied to them and I got in and I did my two years of my master's. And then I was like, all right, job force here I comes. (laughs) So I worked in the hospital for uh, about 11 years. I started off in oncology, medicine, um, and surgery. And that was really hard for me. I've always been a really emotional person. I used to cry all the time as a kid. And my mom used to ask why I cried so much. And I was like, my tears keep me company. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pathetic, I know. But that, that was what steered me in, in, in the direction of helping people. The oncology piece was really tough. And then when that was a six-month contract, uh, a few positions opened up where I used to work at the hospital. And one of them was for palliative care. And so I applied to like the three openings and I got a not leave for one year working in palliative care. And I got it, and I was like, oh, I can't do this. This is so hard.
1: And yeah, it's, it's sorry to cut you off, Tracy. Are you able to explain I mean, listeners what is palliative care? Because maybe depending on, unless you actually have a parent or a loved one going through palliative care. No one. Yeah. What's palliative care?
0: Yeah. Great question, Ken. So palliative care is where you're providing comfort care to people who usually have a lifespan of three months or less. So the people coming onto our unit, they a lot of them had cancer, but it wasn't cancer specific. They could have had any type of diagnosis or disease that they wouldn't live for a very long time. So we spent the last few months of their life, you know, trying to give them the best quality of life as possible. You know, we try to get them up for activities and try to get them walking and eating and doing as best as we can. Um, so it, it was tough because you're faced with a lot of death every single day. You're not only talking about death, but you're seeing death and you're experiencing it and you're comforting people. And it's hard. And I had promised myself if I ever got the position where I didn't love getting out of bed, if I went on Sunday, tomorrow's mm-hmm. Monday that I had to look for something else because it's not a job that you should do for money. It's a job you should do for passion.
1: Oh, that, that's great to hear. Because And like mm-hmm. I mentioned to the listeners in the intro, that that's one of the ways that you and I first met, actually. It was that, unfortunately, from my late father, he passed away. And uh, you were actually the social worker working with him. And mm-hmm. I saw firsthand how much passion and concern you always had, always checking up on on Mrs. K and I especially my mom and my sister as well. She does, so listen, she can't say it, but she actually does say what she really does. Like she really acts, the not just acts the part, she lives it. And you can basically hear in her voice the passion that she has about really trying to help people because it's, like you said, death is not a fun topic for a lot of, and I think it's something that I don't think we really think about until it's like thrust upon us Usually by surprise. It's not... Uh, anyways, so I continue. So you made this transition. And so how did you end up starting your own practice? Because you were working in the hospital for many mm. years, very experienced. So what made it mm. so that, okay, I can do more good running my own practice versus being in a hospital?
0: I started seeing clients. I just had people that started as a social worker and said, do you do a private practice? And I was like, sure. I Sure. We okay. Yeah, I do. So I started seeing um, clients. I want to say about eight years ago, maybe two years into working in palliative care. And I did it on the evenings and weekends. So I worked full-time at, in the palliative care unit. And then on evenings and weekends, I'd see clients. And that was good. It was exhausting. I'd go to work eight to four. I'd drive to my office and I'd see clients five to nine. So it was a really big day. And once... um I never thought I was going to go full-time private practice, to be honest. Like, it when people had said, do you want to? I said, if I had a choice, I would do maybe three or four days palliative and one day private practice. I didn't want to lose it. I loved working with people. I, I really do. It sounds dark, but it's not like I have a passion for grief, death, and dying in terms of how um impactful it is on people. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. And I think society is. So when people are grieving, and it's lonely. And grief doesn't go away, right? Like, the cliche saying time heals all wounds time doesn't heal your wounds it just changes your wounds and your grief stays with you forever and grief changes and it looks different on everyone so that was really a passion of mine and so my practice started as grief it started with people who, who lost someone and they wanted someone to talk to people would refer to me And then in 2019, my daughter's uh, dad, we were legally separated, uh, but still legally married. And we had a very good relationship. He was diagnosed in 2018 with a brain tumor. It came on very suddenly, he was very young. And in 2019, he passed away and it was world-shaking. It was awful. He was young, I had his little girl. Uh, She was four at the time when he died and just trying to manage my grief and her grief, and now all of my patients' grief and patients dying. And it was a lot. And then the pandemic hit, and then another friend of mine died on our unit. And it was just, there was so much that happened in that time. I was starting to lose it, not like mentally, but losing that passion. And I was confused as to where my grief started or ended and where someone else's did. And so when I was sitting with someone, they were crying, and I was crying because they lost a loved one. I had to think, Whose tears are these for? Are they mine? Are they theirs? And I didn't think it was right for me to be grieving so intensely in the moment when they were, I couldn't give my all. So a job opportunity opened up as a part-time job in the outpatient away from palliative care. That was not an easy decision. And that was a one-year contract. And I decided to jump into that so that I can work on, on, on my practice, work on this, and then hopefully come back to palliative. So my practice got really busy and I was working two days a week. In my private practice, and it went from five clients to 10 to 20. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have enough clients for a full-time practice. And probably one of the hardest decisions and a decision I 100% do not regret is stepping away from the hospital after 11 years. My boss in palliative care and I had a very good Zoom cry because it was my baby. I, I developed that program and I built it up to really what I loved and I stepped away. And I went from 20 clients to now I have, all well, sort of like 60 to 70 clients. And I do it Monday to Friday. And I do it right now on Zoom because of the pandemic.
1: That's amazing. I know, obviously, we're trying to keep very sensitive about it, but it's amazing to have that kind of growth in in, in that whole space. Mm-hmm. So you said you, you're, you're interested. It's a great story that you just explained to me about everything. I think the listeners can really start to put a face to the name, right? Because I think that's what's very important is when I started this is to not just have the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation talking. And then on a video, they're just going to give me like a, just like their company logo on the screen. I'm actually looking at the person. So we can really start to put a picture because I think it, for small business owners to actually see that anyone can do this, whatever business it is that they want to in, get involved with, but to hear the stories, because some of them might have similar stories and that they can feel like, okay, because you didn't, I don't know, like you said, it was more like it kind of fell on you, right? It wasn't like you had this yeah. written plan saying that, okay, I'm going to start my own private practice. I'm just going to, here's all the details of what I'm going to do. It just started coming up with like people coming to you because they, they really appreciate your service and your compassion that you were doing that they wanted to, to use you directly. They didn't want to use anybody else. So that, that that's very interesting. So you talked about your growth already and you're at like what, 60, 70, you said 60, 65 clients already. this yeah. so far. Wow, and are you going to open up uh, like a clinic yourself, like an actual physical location, or is it uh, in, the, in the short, in the long term, or in the short term, you're still going to keep it uh, remote for now?
0: It's a great question. Right now, I'm just doing remote because unfortunately, one of the clinics I worked with they closed down during the pandemic, and that was in Toronto. And I live in Durham, but the beauty of online is that I have clients from Ottawa to Windsor, and Before, I would have a very small niche because it would be people who can make it to my office in time, who could take time off work. Whereas now a Zoom meeting, right, it's an hour session and it doesn't require commuting. So it's something I've been thinking back and forth of. And I think I will always do some form of virtual. Um, I'm a very social person. So I think at some point I'll probably want to go back into an office once or twice a week um somewhere close by for people more local, but this allows me the opportunity to see a lot more people and help people that just aren't in my like geographic location.
1: Yeah, no, especially. That's really good to hear. So now we're talking about so you're running your operation right now. What has been you notice your biggest expense that you've had to have to get used to or at least have to start with when you started your practice?
0: Um the I, I it's a good question. Besides like the physical, I need a big monitor and a good camera and this like beautiful office. My partner rebuilt from top to bottom.
1: Very beautiful guys. Was, it, you, you're missing out. It's but yes. really nice.
0: <laughs> you are. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really nice. It's just so clean and neat. And that's what I love about it. The biggest expense. I don't, I, that I wouldn't know. I've had to pay into the colleges and fees anyway. But I think if, if I'm going to switch your, Question: again. the biggest gain I've gotten from it is spending more time with my family, and that's one of the reasons why I did it. I was working in the hospital and commuting an hour and a half each way on a good day, not including storms and traffic. I would get home, I would have my other businesses, I would have private practice, and I remember there was one night I called my mom, and I was I could like to this day tell you exactly like where I was. I was lying in bed, and I called her, and I was in hysterics the cry where you're like and you can't catch your breath and I was in hysterics and I said I can't do this and I can't do this anymore and I I, something has to give and I don't know what and I was a single mom for years I was the only one responsible for MJ uh, which is my daughter and I said I need to spend more time with her and I but I need to work harder for her and I, I don't know how I can balance it. And we had a really long talk. And I think that for me was my tipping point of I can either do what I'm doing and essentially run a marathon at a sprint pace and I'm going to burn out, which I have, or I switch something up. And I hate change so much, but it was the best change. And to be able to work from home and be able to schedule my day so that I can pick up and drop off MJ and that I can be there for bedtime and I can be there for morning and I don't have to, you know, rush her out the door to for someone else to watch her has honestly been the best thing for me ever.
1: No, I can totally relate to that. I think that's a great thing. I, th- I like what you just mentioned there, the running a marathon at a sprint's pace. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is the ultimate sign of burnout that I think a lot of owners and, are going to go through, especially when they're starting yeah. up, because you're going to have this, oh my God, what am I going to do? There's so many things to think about. And even I'm still figure, trying to figure it out myself for running my business. We so many different things to work on. And all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, but uh, you touched upon you know, trying to be there for your family. And uh, the funny thing is, so I mentioned in the intro that also actually we first met not but prior to you working on my father was actually when I used to teach kickboxing at the hospital. Yeah. So I, I trained with I, like Tracy was one of my students, and she was one of the better ones. She wanted to really hit, so I'm wondering what where all this pent up anger came from when I was holding pads for her because she was pounding them like they owed her money. So I'm not too sure what it was, but. And she's laughing right now. You can't really hear it, but that's okay. But the the weird thing, Tracy, about that is that when I was doing that, I was similar to your situation. When I was teaching kickbox, when I was uh, a personal trainer by trade, and that's when I was running like three or four different things at once. So my days were very long. I'd be working at different colleges, teaching classes, personal training sessions. And it wasn't until we were having my daughter and then eventually my son that I had to step away from it because it was just so much. I was missing out on it and no one knows this. But I'm not the most aggressive driver. You could have Mrs. K gets annoyed when I'd have to drive sometimes because she is a go go. She'll be that mm-hmm. person that loves to change lanes And when you're driving. I'm okay staying in a, staying content in a lane that I have to find in. Unless it's really slow, then I'll move out just a little bit. But I'm not going to be zigzagging around traffic to try to find, but to save me a couple of seconds. I started noticing that I started getting becoming more aggressive because I'd be so rushing to get home, but especially with the, when you have a young child where, you know, their bedtimes might be fairly early when they're really young. So their bedtime can almost be like 7, 7.30 at night. So if you're teaching classes, working with clients and you're rushing home, you know, you got to figure out what's the best way to, do. they're only this young once. So how do you capture that? And I, I like that, the approach that you had there. Okay, what mm-hmm. we're going to touch upon now, Tracy, is the actual in the social work industry. And I guess my question to you is what's your current opinion of the current industry and what's the direction? The,
0: the beautiful thing about social work, which I really liked as well when I was looking for master's programs and what I wanted to do was that there's so many opportunities, so many. You can work in the community. You can have your own private practice. You can work in a hospital. You can be a consultant. You can be a suit like you. There's so many opportunities that people can do, and so oh. I think I hope that people continue to want to be in social work. I I know the pandemic has been really hard on people. And I hope, I truly hope that hospitals continue to value their social workers. I I know that there was uh, a hospital that had a few years ago actually fired the social workers and changed them to to what they call just discharge planners. And it wasn't long until they had to hire social workers back because social workers have a different way of seeing things. They have a different way of uh, communicating and connecting with people. And it's a beautiful profession. And again, you can do so much. I'd love to do talks. I'd love to teach. I'd love to, I had a lot of students when I was in the hospital. I absolutely adored, adored being a supervisor. So there's just so many things you can do. So I do hope that it continues to grow because it doesn't just place you into one category. You can do so many different things.
1: Yeah. And so just so I know, because I'm like, I'm, I'm very, I am i don't know a lot about the social work space. That's why it's great to have like experts like yourself on. So sometimes I hear social worker and then I sometimes I hear other people refer to them as grief counselors. So is there, what is the difference between the two? Because I'm sure there must be it. Otherwise they just call it one name.
0: Yeah, i so I I get that. A message a lot from new clients. It's okay, so what's the difference, Tracy, between a social worker, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counselor? And I'm like, let me Google. So <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> let me Google. <laughs>
1: all right. Let
0: me Google. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. A lot of the time it's schooling, right? It's where you went to school, it's which college you're associated with. I'm associated with the Ontario College of Social workers and social service workers very long name and it's a schooling that you do it's a training that you do i I truly believe that anyone who does any type of help for people that they never stop learning i still love doing courses my mom's a psychologist and i did a course with her which was so fun to do with her so it really is it's based on the schooling you do it's based on what your license allows you to do i believe if you are a psychotherapist you have to be under the supervision of a psychologist because of billing if you're a social worker you don't necessarily really need that. If a psychologist, you don't need that. And obviously a psychiatrist is a bit different because they're the ones that can prescribe meds and they're the ones that can diagnose as well. Social worker cannot diagnose.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I remember a long time ago when I was a kid, I would think we have very similar childhoods or where I always enjoyed helping people. So mm-hmm. I became that, that shoulder that people could lean on when I was, when I was younger as a kid. So I always thought, well, what can I, what kind of job could I do where I can listen to people's problems? And try to help them, try to let, you know, be their ear and try to make them feel better. And uh, I remember on my grade eight yearbook, which, you know, back in the mid nineties, I'm not going to date myself. Though yearbooks though of even when we were in high school, Tracy, and even maybe to now, they're like hardcover, nice pictures and all that sort of stuff. Some nice quotes. The school I went to, we were very, there were only 21 of us in grade eight back in that graduating class. So a lot of our stuff was photocopied. So all books are photocopied and Sirlox binded. So that was our grade eight yearbook. And my thing was future occupation was a psychiatrist because I thought that would be great. And when Mm -hmm. I told my parents, I said, you know what, I am going to be a psychiatrist because I want to hear people's problem and try to help them. The first question, my mom, who's who's a retired nurse for over many years, she said, oh, so you're going to go to medical school? I said, what are you talking about medical school? I just want to, the person's going to be sitting on a couch. I'm going to be sitting on a chair with a notepad. I'm going to be trying to help them. That's what I'm going to do. It's like, well, you have to go to medical school to be a psychiatrist. I'm like, I do? And similar to you, Tracy, math and science were not my greatest uh, strengths. So I lived... My Psychiatrist Dreams through Dr. Fraser Crane on the show Fraser. That was the closest I would ever get to becoming a psychiatrist. But anyways, yeah. that is my little spiel. Okay, so Tracy, what uh, resources do you recommend to stay up to date in the social work industry?
0: Courses, light like courses. Books are great, but I think that you can learn so much more from doing courses and seeing people... Actually, the last course I did was uh, a course for couples therapy. And oh my God, can you slow down? I was writing so quickly um, because just the things that he was doing and talking about and expressing was, it it was so, I I was, I loved it so much. Even courses you don't, which I've learned now, even courses you don't think you want to do, try it out because it may be something that you want to do later on in life, or maybe something that may come up that could help you but definitely 100% keep learning.
1: So any whether it's sites or colleges that you would recommend that anyone who's let's say that's, that's already in the social work space or maybe
0: mm-hmm.
1: wants to get into the social work space that they can take. So would it be colleges like specific colleges or is there like specific websites that really have a lot of great variety of courses that anyone can take?
0: And so our college, um, which you have to be part of to, to be a social worker is great. They have the resources. But the other one is the Ontario. Association of Social Workers, A-O-A-S-W, has amazing stuff. So they email you pretty frequently with courses and suggestions and other readings that you can do. And they have a lot of discounts for you as well. You can save a lot of stuff. So that is an extra fee you don't have to be part of, but I highly suggest people being part of that um, association as well because it's been really helpful as well in terms of finding um, your niche. And also I started this a while ago and I just because life got busy, unfortunate to put a pause on it, but I started something called women in private practice. And that was something that was great because we were able to bring cases together and talk about it, but also share information about courses we've done or things we've done or books we've read. So really having a group of people that are also therapists that don't have to be social workers to help you grow. It's a huge, a a huge blessing.
1: It's it's really good to hear. And So for those who are not in, who don't follow the industry very well, like very much, actually, what are some of the details that as a social worker that not a lot of people know?
0: In terms of kind of the issues that are rising every day? Sure. With the pandemic, unfortunately, fortunately, depends which way, fortunately for social workers, unfortunately for just individuals, private practices have gotten very busy because people have been struggling a lot. And the biggest thing I usually tell people that it's okay to not be okay. a lot of people feel that they have to be this quote unquote strong and like solid person and they can't show their emotions, uh, but it's okay to get help. And I really hope that this stigma that and I is no, again, I'm quoting podcasters, The stigma that a for crazy people <laughs> is becoming less and less. But I know with certain cultures and certain people, like, like absolutely not, I'm not going to sit in somebody psychoanalyze my brain. It's really nice. I'm in therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy. But it's really good because it gives you an outlet where it's an unbiased place. And it also gives you a place where you can be validated because not a lot of people are validating in today's society. Look at our world. You, our world is so split. It is black and white. vexed, or you're not. You're pro-vaccine, you're anti-vaccine. You're pro this Dates convoy, you're yeah. anti, right? Yeah. Like it it is it it's so black and white. So if you have an opinion about something, someone's gonna bash you based on whatever your opinion is. And then validation and someone listening to you is not necessarily there. Do I have clients that have opposite views of me based on what I believe in the world? Yes. Um essentially in terms of you know, the pandemic and everything. But it's it, they're not paying for my opinion, if this is my opinion, but they are validating in terms of that it must be really hard to be in a world where it's so black and white and you're not being heard at all.
1: Yeah, I think it's very yeah. sad, too, because uh, I think I was talking about what Mrs. K about this, is that especially over the holidays, So there was a lot of stories in the meet, either family relationships, French, long-term friendships, or even relationships breaking, just because, like you said, it's a black and white society. And I'm trying to think for anything, I'm like, You really want to throw that relationship away on one issue, maybe even a couple of issues. Is it really worth it? Because whether someone has the same view as I do or not, I don't hate them for their view. It's just different. That's all it is. So I'm one of those that I always believe we can agree on. We may disagree on one or two things, but if 99% of the thing, that's all the other topics in the world we can agree on. Really? Is it really worth it? To to break that up just because you don't agree on one thing. That doesn't make any sense to me. So that's unfortunate. And let's hope that uh, eventually we can get back to normal where, listen, they used to say that when you're meeting with family and friends, the only two topics you don't talk about is politics and religion. I might not be that against maybe not bringing those topics to the table. Like, throw, I'm, I'm, I think I might be an advocate of that. Yeah, just put those topics over there. You can argue about sports teams if you want. You can argue about education, whatever. But for those ones that are really hot button, especially on a holiday like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving, when, you know, everyone's trying to have a nice dinner. And for those who have turkey, trying to cut that damn bird, which I cannot carve a turkey to save my life. That's why I promote turkey loafs for people who have who celebrate turkey because it's just a ginormous. Piece of meat that's easy to cut. Anyways, aside from that, but
0: I'm a vegetarian, so I wouldn't
1: know. <laughs> Tofu turkey, there you go. For Tofu those turkey, are for the exactly. vegetarian.
0: <laughs> <laughs> easier to cut. Easier to cut,
1: <laughs> definitely. Okay, ver- ver- thanks for that. So, you <laughs> talked about your biggest favorite successor So that's actually really nice to hear.
0: Now it's time for
1: tips from the pro. So, we're now going to get into uh, a part of the show where I'm going to have my son record this, where it's going to be tips from the pro. So. These are questions specifically related to someone trying to either start a business like yourself within the social work space, or maybe a current operator that maybe there's something they can learn. All right. Question number one, Tracy, what are some special populations or niches that are available that maybe someone who's just starting should really explore when they're opening up their practice?
0: Go with your passion. Uh, Don't go with necessarily what's available, go with your passion, because... If you go with your passion, it's less likely you'll burn out. If you go with your passion, it's, you'll be more inclined to be excited to work the next day. And there's, yeah. there are so many, and that's it. again, the beauty of social work. It's looking at how society impacts the psychology of people. It mixes it in together. You can look at anything. You can look at marginalized groups. You can look at, like, there's, there, there's so much that you can look at, but I, I honestly would say finding a niche and not spreading too thin because you want to be able to be the best you can be in that area as opposed to being somewhat okay in 15, 20 different areas.
1: It's, it's like medicine, right, where, yes, you have a mm-hmm. doctor, but within being a doctor, there's all these different specialties. So it's good to know. So are you able to give a few samples of what are some sample niches that for someone, because someone might be overwhelmed thinking social, oh my God, there's so much. What are some it potential is. ones? Because they might even not know their passion yet. Because especially when you're in school, you're learning about a lot of things at once. You're learning yeah. different things. So can you get help the potential entrepreneurs into the social work space? What are some niches that maybe they could consider specializing in or going
0: into to open up their clinics? For sure. So if you want to do individual work, right, like I think for you to decide individual or couples, but some people just want to do couples and some people just want to do individual, individual, which is just one-on-one and couples in different type of training. So you really want to be trained. There's family um, therapy as well. So if you want to have everyone And then there's different models of therapy, right? There's the cognitive behavior therapy, there's dialectic behavior therapy, there's psychodynamic, which is focusing more on family of origin. You can focus on trauma, on grief, uh, marginalized groups. You can specialize with LGBTQ plus communities. There really is, there really is so much. I think if you feel you've been drawn to something, just follow that and, and there'll be something open. And can I wanted to show you something. Sure. Remember I told you when I was started to work in oncology, I was like, oh my God, I can never do this. Yeah. I found this, I was going through files and I found this from 2003 where I wrote a 50 page paper on the effects of dependence in relationships on grieving after death of a family. So to say I found my niche early on, <laughs> Is I, I I didn't even remember that until I looked back on it and I was like, oh my God, I guess grief, death, and dying was my niche that I was in. I've been working in palliative care. It just went like that.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> wow. It's interesting that you found that. And my, my, what impresses me most, Tracy, is you wrote a 50-page paper. Just, not, I'm not saying that because, I, you know, that she can't do it. I'm just saying that's how bad I am because the the idea of me writing any kind of paper in school, I dreaded. I totally hated writing essays because that wasn't really my thing. So mm. to, even if someone said, do a two page paper, okay, maybe I can get away with that. 50. Wow. That's the biggest thing I ever
0: in high school, and it was, it, it was in high school. I know it's crazy. Oh Gracie. my god! It, and it was interviewing people, and it was going through um, some questions and what their how grief was for them. It was I was looking back, and I was like, "Well, oh, Dad Tracy." It was really an interesting little thing I did
1: in high school. You had to <laughs> write a fifty page paper. Maybe in university. It
0: ended up being I think it ended up being fifty pages because of how many people I interviewed. Because I had seven people I interviewed. So it just got big bigger. And I was like, I'll just throw so it on paper going. and good luck reading that. <laughs> Where do you end?
1: There you go. Okay. So next question on Tips from the Pearl. Should I get a master's degree in social work to run a private practice or is bachelor's?
0: Yeah, I would say definitely masters of social work. Um with that. Uh, it's hard to get a job without a master's nowadays in social work, so definitely um, invest in that time.
1: All right. So in terms of, I think we touched upon this a little bit. We said what sh- what should be the first piece of equipment I should invest in for my practice. Now, obviously, for if you're working from home doing a lot of remote sessions, I think we touched upon having a maybe a good monitor, maybe a good camera, maybe a mm-hmm. good uh, laptop or computer or anything. So, but let's just make this so. Let's say I'm actually opening up an office now so we'll, mm-hmm. let's expand that out okay tracy pandemic ends tomorrow and you want and you just said let's open it <laughs> <laughs> see we don't need to wait for the mandates to end i'll just say it, <laughs> I said
0: it guys that, it's over <laughs> if
1: you're gonna open up your own shop for your private practice what would be the first Me. thing you would invest in it's
0: honestly a good chair for yourself i had a really bad chair well it was actually an amazing chair, like a very expensive chair, it was ergonomic, all that stuff. But it threw my back out and I could barely sit and I could barely stand and I was in Cairo. So a good chair is really important, but you also want some more comfortable for your clients to sit or lie down. Blanket, pillows, nice paintings, and you just want a serene environment. Plants are always nice too. Just don't make it so sterile, so hospital-like. Like make it more Make it look more like a living room with a desk and a computer, but definitely make it more feel comfortable for your clients.
1: No, but I think what you touched on there was actually one of the things that people don't or one of the other expenses people don't think about when uh, you're running oh, it yeah. is, all, is what you just laid out there. So you already answered that question. So that's really good. All right. What kind of special insurance do social workers need for running a private practice?
0: So that is done through the Ontario Association of Social Workers, and they have different plans that you can buy. But you definitely need 100% need insurance before you start a private practice.
1: So what would... so. I'm just trying to understand that. So if you have special insurance, so what does that cover? Mm-hmm. I know it can depend on coverage, but on a general level, to layman's per view on like myself, what would it cover? Not that you ever had to knock on wood, you never had to use it, but mm-hmm. what does it protect the owner yourself from?
0: If anyone wants to go dispute something about you, they want to sue you for something, you know, whatever that may be, and, and people can do it. That allows you some financial protection in that sense and coverage.
1: Nice. And did the, I've always heard for at least small business insurance, and I this could be totally different, is that the magic number is they always say, now that we're endorsing this, of course, because we're not insurance agents, but they say the minimum you should consider for the amount of coverage is about $2 million. Is there something similar to that in the social work insurance space?
0: Yes. And I'm trying to think last well, so time. I renewed to so renew it every year. It's between like you could do one million, five million. And there's auctions where you can just keep 10 million. It can go up. But usually around like one, like somewhere between one to five is probably where you want to be.
1: Yeah. And it's just to protect your reputation, especially if there's a disagreement on mm. something. So, would it, so you're saying that a client would, if they had an issue with, obviously you're not diagnosing them in the doctor sense. Correct. But if they don't agree with your opinion or they think whatever, that's why they might try to go after you or something like that. Is that how it is? Yeah,
0: And if you're dealing with some people with mental health issues or if they're in a cycle where they're... They have a psychosis or something's happened, whatever it may be. They may go to the college and say, Oh my gosh, this is what happened. So it's important to take notes. You need locked cabinets, right? You did keep your notes for 10 years. So I have like all of the students locked up cabinets. And yeah, so you want to be able to have that so that if you do go to court, you have proof of whatever it is. And not all therapists are good so yeah. you may have a pretty bad therapist that has said something or we're just humans right so yeah. yeah we may say something that you don't agree with but there are some therapists that aren't great so yeah maybe they do say something or do something that may not um be compliant with the college okay
1: and do you digitize your notes as well just as a backup or is it all handwritten at this point
0: so i i type it up because I'm a way quicker typer than I am writer. And I do like really extensive notes. And then I print them off and I keep them in files, which is, it's old school, but it's have a soft copy
1: doing. of it. So that God forbid some yeah. fire breaks on the house and the records are burnt. You still have something there, some copy, especially hoping that doesn't happen. Knock on wood. Like I said, again, all right. What is your best strategy for non-paying clients? Or let's, we can let's open that up more difficult clients. Because some businesses, it depends on the business, because some business owners I've talked with, a lot of it is either you take payment up front or I'm not, but I know every business is different. So from your particular business, how do clients uh, pay for this?
0: So I have forms that they have to complete, their confidentiality forms, their online forms, their payment fees, and they have to sign it before. I won't start therapy until they do. Sometimes I have to spend the first few minutes of therapy for them to sign it, but it it is written out directive of that there's payment and it is expected after sessions, then I do have a cancellation policy. And I do go over this as well in our first session, because I say out of the thousands of people I've seen, I've had maybe two people actually read what these documents say. <laughs> I go over it with them. If, you're, if you cancel less than 24 hours, I'll have to charge you. And I go over my whole spiel and some people get upset about it. If they miss it, they all understand in first session but they're usually really good. And with online, some of my clients say, Trace, can I wait until next next paycheck to pay you for our session? Of course. It's fine. It's, they don't expect it the second we get off. I, have, I send reminders if they need reminders. I send them emails. But my clients have been really good in terms of paying in, in a good amount of time.
1: Okay. No, that's good to hear. And last story for me on this fun little topic here of dealing with people who don't pay back in episode zero when i first started this podcast I, there was just an episode about myself and i explained my story and i said one of the stories that i start like my entrepreneurial side was i got involved with an mlm firm probably in the late 90s it was one of those that i pretend to be i told i went to family and friends because when you first start a business or anything who else do you go to first family and friends especially if it's a very generic service so it had this little catalog thing where the people would pick out all these different products could be anything could be like a Bag of nuts could be cotton swabs, whatever. And it was it was a wholesale retail relationship, so they would place their orders. I would write a check, physically write a check to my distributor, and they would pay me the difference. And I they'd pay me the retail price, and I'd pocket the difference. And when there was a challenge with someone paying, I had the, the secret weapon that everyone did not have in some in this business. It was called mom. So any of my family and friends who did not pay had to deal with my mother.
0: Oh, that's
1: so, good. <laughs> suffice to say, I had a 100% recovery rate in terms of getting all the monies that were owed to me because my mom's awesome. So anyways, <laughs> thank you, mom. <laughs> anyways.
0: I, I don't have my mom go after you, but usually my clients are pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think for the most part, yeah, like really setting out that those boundaries there, here's, here's how it's going to work. Yeah. Because you know what? If you were a charity, great. But you know what? You don't do cheap work. You don't do free work. You have all this education. You have all this experience. You have all this expertise that, Mm -hmm. yeah, people don't want to put dollars on it, but all businesses have to make money in some way, shape, or form. So it's nothing personal, but expect that, especially small business owners, I find they're a little bit more easier to work with sometimes because they can appreciate that of, okay, I'm taking up someone's time. And if I don't follow the policy, I'm going to have to pay because it's out of respect for that. All right. So we're asking a few personal questions here. And you already touched upon your story a little bit there. So Mm -hmm. what was your, I guess, family's view on uh, you starting your own private practice? Because some families, they might be all for it. Others would be Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, Tracy, you're in a hospital. Just stay in the hospital. You got a pension there. Stay there. Why would you give that up for something that may or may not do well?
0: Mm-hmm. So my mom's been in private practice for, I don't want to age her, sorry, mom, like, well, I'll say over 40 years, so over 10 years. And so she was really for it. My partner, he was extremely supportive and said, whatever, it works well. And they also saw my, my mm, mm, emotional breakdowns. My dad is very supportive. He is very much a realist he's very much like pension and numbers and is it safe if he gets sick and all this. So I do have extra like the disability insurance and critical illness insurance, all that. So that if anything happens, right. But for the most part, I got so much support, which honestly made that decision so much easier for me. If everyone was against it, then I think I would have a harder time walking away from the hospital from security because there's own your own business. There's not a lot of security there. But yeah, the fact that I got such support and the fact that my business has grown so much in the last few months has really helped as well. They were great. And I always say to people, follow your dreams and follow your heart. You are replaceable at work. You're not replaceable at home. So if you're feeling burnt out, if you're feeling stressed out, if you're feeling this isn't just for me, you need to start following your passion and following what you want to do.
1: Yeah. And you want know, this touch upon my next question here then was, how do you balance everything? Because I think it's, a, like you said, it might have gotten better a lot now. Like you said, good, not so good when it comes to the pandemic, because now you can be more, spend more time with your family. But for just, what are some good tips that you can give aspiring or current small business owners will open up to any business? on how to balance everything?
0: Set that very firm rules, boundaries, limitations, not only with yourself, but with customers. I have clients that say, Tracy, do you work evenings and weekends? And go, nope, I don't. And they go, oh, okay. And they do, they find time during the week to see me. <laughs> and the people that strictly need evenings and weekends, they don't see me and that's okay. So you have to be willing to set rules, boundaries, limitations and know that you won't accommodate everyone And some people may have to walk away, but as long as you set those and you're listening to your gut, what I call my practice, your inner child and saying, I need to have boundaries, making sure that you'd only seen a certain amount of people a a day or a week, that's going to help you because if you overpromise and burn yourself out, then you've just done yourself a whole disservice and you're back at square one.
1: Yeah, no, that's really good. It's really (laughs) good to hear and really stick to it because I guess it's one thing when you write it on paper or to say to myself okay on this time I'm going to spend for this week I'm only going to spend I'm going to spend this much time with my kids or my wife and we're going to do that one thing every weekend and really trying to push through it but not just like you said write it out and say to your head actually live that and if it means missing out on opportunity then so be it now like I said I'm doing this podcast thing here and uh, if for some reason, if Mark Zuckerberg wants from Facebook wants to be on my podcast and it's going to be at two in the morning, mm. maybe I'll open up my time slot just for something like that. I wouldn't say uh, no, but for some other things, yeah, you have to try to really be consistent as best you can for it. Unless it's mm-hmm. a really phenomenal opportunity that's going to somehow, they got something there that you can really pay off a lot of stuff with maybe. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you only have one kind of family. So I would say try to focus on them when you're with them. Because you'll be surprised, and I'm speaking on behalf of being a parent and Tracy's a parent, kids grow up really fast. And the way they, the way, how you behave and how you act, that's pretty much what they think seems to be normal to them. And my kids are (laughs) not surprised when they see me working. And I always try to make sure I spend so much time with them that uh, they remember that, okay, daddy did work a lot, but also daddy was there a lot, which is, both a, a blessing and a curse for them because I'm gonna be that dad that will totally embarrass them as they get older. And that's gonna be with serious intention. Just because I know how my late father did that with me, I will do that with my children as well. So any anyways, funny. What has been like the funniest story so far since running your business, since starting up your, your private practice?
0: Oh my god, I had I was in almost on the floor painting my pants yet the other day. It actually happened and I said something. I so I said, I, was, I, I did some really intense work with a client who's had a lot of grief and a lot of traumas, like a really intense. And so after, sorry, we do that really intense work, I always debrief because I'm not going to, okay, goodbye. And so I was talking and I was debriefing with her and she's like, so I'm not going to see you for another week. So you're just going to leave me here. And she's joking. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go away. And I'm going to go poof. And the second say poof. Her computer completely dies and shuts down. And then it goes her session. I was like, Shh, "My God, what magic do I So I'm like, Oh my god, go, oh my God And then I'm like fumbling for my and I get her number, I call her and she's just like, can't catch her breath. She's laughing so hard. I was like what rudimentary do I have? <laughs> she's like, no. She's like, I had unplugged my computer. And it just was on the last battery, I didn't realize. And just coincidentally, when you said poof, like your computer just completely shut off. <laughs> so we just finished the session on the phone. And but that was honestly like, I was like this. Luckily I'd handled it with her because she's great. But that was probably like the funniest moment that I've had in the session after the really intense session too. <laughs> wow.
1: Poof. <laughs> poof.
0: Poof. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't work now my magic's gone because no. we're still here
1: yeah i have my battery plugged in so we're, we should be good from that perspective and, and everything
0: now it's time for the rapid fire round
1: all right let's do some rapid fire fun stuff we're just about wrapping it up and look at that we're almost at an hour already so that's really good what would your 15 year old self be thinking you'd be doing today 15
0: i'm trying to think was i a that's a good question. I have I, either I was going to be a vet, but I think I may have already shifted gears at that point, seeing my math and science marks. Definitely something helping, like helping profession, possibly following my mom's footsteps. I am like the carbon copy of my mom. We, uh, it's creepy. So definitely something similar into what I'm doing, even though I wrote this research paper. I didn't think I would be working with grief, death, and dying, but definitely something in the helping profession and helping others and making a difference. A quick story, when I was seven or eight, I grew up in Montreal and there was this big corner um, store downtown that was for sale. And I was like to my parents, I want that to be a homeless shelter. And I want, and i was seven or eight, and I was like, I want to help people who live on the streets. And that's going to be my homeless shelter. So when I'm older, I'm going to buy it. Anyway, it turned into a rug store and I cried for weeks that my homeless shelter was a rug store and that we couldn't help people and how dare they put a rugs in there when it was meant for better. And so I think 15 year old me would know I'd be trying to do something and make a difference somehow.
1: And you, to probably be on the front line and protesting rug stores. I have a feeling that might be something there.
0: Yeah. If you go to a rug store right now, I'm pissed at.
1: Been good, good to know. Good to know. All right. So we got some <laughs> other rapid fire ones here and these ones are going to be more fun. Definitely. If you had to delete th- all but three apps on your smartphone, which ones would you keep, and why? Instagram. You delete and in- sorry, you keep Instagram. Okay. I keep
0: an Instagram and just I love it, and it's how, how I run my two other businesses. Can I? Is the phone is like the phone an app, like the actual, or no? Is that just a?
1: I'm keeping it like, open, you know, like, Tracy. You can oh. you tell me.
0: Um. Oh my God! I guess if the, if, the, if I can't use the phone as a phone, I would use that uh, the third messages one is maybe yes. messages just because i i love connecting with my friends and family maybe facetime and messages i'll do it that way was- i love connecting with friends and family and being so far away and just to be able to send them a message thinking of you love you facetime whatever it may be those would be my three
1: all right i had uh one question I, I and my previous guest and he was really awesome i actually asked him what would you rather deal with not having your phone for 30 days or never eating a dessert the rest of your life. And the minute he's heard that, he's like, Ken, you are a bad person for making me chew between those two things. And remember, his space is in digital marketing, so that's a really big, important thing to have is your phone.
0: That is big.
1: He's like, that's it, yeah. no dessert. Because at the end of it, after a bit of yelling at me, he's like, all right, fine, I have to give up, I'll, I'll say dessert.
0: Yeah, this is how I connect to everyone. I connect to my clients. I connect to my friends and family. So I'd keep that because not having that connection business-wise would be like a pretty bad. But also just uh, I'm such a social person. I would need that.
1: All right. Next couple of questions are related to food. All right. Do you like food? All right. What is, sorry. Deep dish or thin crust pizza? Thin. Thin. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. You're going to have a sandwich named after you. What's going to be in it?
0: (laughs) Oh, avocado, sprouts, mustard, cheese. Hot peppers. I'm like salivating now. (laughs) And some types I don't eat meat. So it would be some type of uh, vegetarian protein in it as well. All nice, thick. With grainy bread, toasted.
1: Ooh, and what would, what would the know. sandwich be called? Would it just be called the Tracy, oh. or would it be something else?
0: No, it'd be like like tiny taste bomb or something like that. I tiny don't know. what taste bomb. I don't know taste bomb.
1: <laughs> Put that it's on like, a shirt, like tiny taste bomb. There you go.
0: am oh, Don't market that
1: <laughs> <laughs> tiny taste. No, okay, don't worry. I'm not in marketing. We'll we'll keep that between you and me. no no one else else
0: listening? Exactly. (laughs) Can you edit it
1: out? I can try. (laughs) Or not. Maybe I will take the tiny taste bomb. I'll put that as one of the hashtags. But anyways. So if you were to have a movie made of you, of your story, what celebrity would play you?
0: Oh. Dang. I'm so bad with celebrities. Only because I've been told I've looked like her, like a younger Sarah Jessica Parker. That's a good one. And I love it. High, high heels, and I know she's into fashion. But I'm also terrible at celebrities, so I'm going to stick with that because I can't even count them differently.
1: If you want to see my wife, Mrs. K, I roll off the ground just because she rolls her eyes so many times. If she say, if she asked me this question, I would say Dwayne the Rock Johnson because we look so much alike. Yeah, she's yeah, she she, yeah. she's not going to go for that. I I, I joke with her. That I think she has to go to the eye doctor because she every time I make a really bad pun or a really bad joke, the eyes just. Rolls every single time. So
0: they're dad jokes. They're dad.
1: You know what? They are dad jokes. Excellent. All right. All right. This one would be a bit tough one here. Would you rather have your most embarrassing photo put on social media or accidentally falling in public and the video going viral? Dead silence right now. She's thinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really deep in thought, falling in public.
1: You would rather have fall. You'd rather fall in public and go viral.
0: Once they're saw, yeah, but who knows? Maybe my photo will go viral. But I don't know. I think you have to make it. Depends what... Oh, I don't know. It depends what embarrassing photo it is.
1: Well, you got to make sure if that does happen, if you fall, make sure you're wearing your taste bomb shirt that uh, is going to be there, <laughs> so you can promote your sandwich. Right,
0: I hold my sandwich in while my you're hand holding your sandwich. Twine.
1: Exactly, <laughs> 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 I love it. All right, last question on this rapid stuff, uh, rapid fire stuff. I always tell this to every guest. What is your theme song and why? So when this song hits, you're walking down the sidewalk, you're walking into your store, whatever. That song plays, people are going to turn around, they're going to see Tracy's...
0: Uh, Journey, what's the song called? Um, this Smell town Girl. What was that called?
1: Oh my God, I know that song. And...
0: Um, I always want to say it's don't stop. Believing. Don't stop
1: believing. Yeah. See, we we're just <laughs> get the exact same. Don't stop believing by journey. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Really good. All right, Tracy, it's been awesome so far. And I know where this is only, and I told delicious, this is going to be the first of three episodes because this episode was specifically just on her social work, private practice. But do you want to mm-hmm. touch upon what other two businesses we're going to be recording in future episodes? Tracy, we're going to record which one next?
0: Sure, um, health, health and fitness, and then beauty. So I'd like to take care of everyone from the inside out.
1: Inside my, out, look okay. at that! So we're gonna do is maybe episode...
0: that's what my sandwich is called.
1: Inside out, great
0: from the inside out. From the inside
1: out, nah, I like taste bomb. That's still better. That's the best one so far I've heard. But <laughs> yeah, so we definitely we're gonna record an episode just on health and fitness that tracy does because she is very active especially on instagram She posts a lot of workout videos that we're going to talk about and of course the beauty as well that's also going to be something that we're going to touch upon as well because i always believe we should have different types of businesses on there i don't want to be too niche where i'm only talking about one so it's nice Mm -hmm. that we're going to have that so any final advice tracy for anyone thinking about wanting to start their own business or anything what's your best tip advice you can give for them
0: go with their gut your gut's never wrong go with your passion never wrong and just make sure you only have one life to live and there's only one of you so be your true authentic self and work hard but don't burn yourself out because you're more than just a job
1: absolutely great advice and final plug uh, tracy so where can people reach out to your website your social media handles
0: yeah, I would say uh, if it's for private practice, definitely my website, which is www.tracystilber.com. I and mean, you can email me through there. It has a bunch of contact information there.
1: All right. Great to have you on the show, Tracy. And like I said, we're looking forward to seeing you on the next one.
0: Thanks so much, Ken.
1: All right, guys, that was our episode with Tracy Stober. And it was an awesome interview, and we hope you learned a lot from it. I think the two key points that I recall from this whole podcast interview that I had with her was, one, is the big P, passion. I think uh, you can clearly hear in the show that she was very passionate about what she does, and I think we should really translate that into any small business that you're going to have. So I think it's great for owners to make sure that why are you doing your business in the first place? You should always have some type of passion to what it is. I enjoy Podcasting and chatting with owners about their stories. That's the passion I really enjoy. And that's why I'm continuing it to this day. And I think the second thing is actually sticking to having strict boundaries with, with your clients, knowing when you can include time for family and friends. Now, if you hear her, she talked about no evenings and weekends and her clients have to adjust. And I think it's important to actually utilize that tactic. It It may be harder in the beginning, but eventually something you transition to because your loyal clients, the ones you're going to be seeing over and over again, can adjust to your schedule. And as long as you have a a hard rule on that, you're more than welcome to opening it up once in a while for maybe a really good client or anything like that. But always don't forget to try to keep that because like I said, especially for those with kids, your kids are only this young once. So hope you enjoyed the episode, guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.